Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. This is the Unplayable Podcast. Sam Ferris here, and on today's episode, we chat to former Australia opener, Tasmania legend, and one of the most respected coaches in the game today, Michael Divinuto. But before we hear from Diva, he talks to us about his time as Surrey head coach, working with Steve Smith, England's Ashes chances in Australia next summer, and how the Marsh Sheffield Shield is faring. Just a quick reminder, the WNCL final is on this Saturday at Junction Oval between the table-topping Victorians and Queensland Fire. If you're in Melbourne, head down to Junction Oval as it's free entry, and if you can't get there, the match will be broadcast on Fox Cricket and live streamed on cricket.com.au, the CA Live app and KO Sports. Also out this week is the latest episode of the Scoop Cricket Podcast. Hosts M. Collin and Laura Jolly preview the WNCL final and talk to Australia and Victoria Quick Taylor of a Mink ahead of the Aussies White Ball Series against New Zealand. Okay, let's get into our chat with Michael Divanudo. Diva played nine one-day internationals for Australia, 336 first-class matches, scoring 60 centuries. He's won domestic titles as a player and coach and was part of the support staff in Australia's 2015 World Cup winning team. The pandemic has forced him back to his home in Tasmania, where he's taken up an interesting role with the Tigers. Here's Michael Divanudo. That one will be the 50, hit right off the middle of the bat. That's been a terrific knock from uh, Michael Divanudo. Welcome, Michael Divanudo, who has just told me that he's officially labelled the lurker with Cricket Tasmania <laughs> this year. Welcome, Diva. G'day, mate. Nice to chat. Mate, uh, I know Lurker is your official title, but what is it you're actually doing with with the Tassie Tigers uh, this year? Uh, with the Tigers, I've just been doing some um, consultancy uh, work with the Tigers um, across. Um, in, in fact, across the whole organisation, really, I've sort of been back from um, London close to a year now. I think when COVID first hit over there, so. Got out of London quick smart before it all kicked off. And uh, Tassie's been unbelievable. Well, we've hardly been touched here with COVID, so it's pretty normal life down here. Um, yeah, but um, lucky enough, there was a bit of work um, in Cricket Tas that sort of got me along to be an extra pair of hands, basically, uh, around the place and help out um, around the different programs. And um, got myself back with the Hobart Hurricanes as an assistant coach there and helped... Adam Griffiths through the BBL, and um, yeah, since that, just been around the Tigers um, quite a bit during the, the home games and, and training sessions, and, and yeah, just been an um, extra pair of hands for the for the coaching staff there. How much credit are you taking for the Tigers bowling out the Blues for, for 32 and recording that, was it, 300-run win the other day? Great win, wasn't it? Um, boys played well. Uh, no, uh, nothing to do with me, uh, Jackson Bird and Peter Siddle, quite uh, experienced campaigners with it on a wicket that, uh, it was a pretty good cricket wicket actually and it, um, those two with a brand new ball, there was just enough in it 
Um, and yeah, it was pretty remarkable those uh, 19 overs or whatever it was. Yeah, it was ph- phenomenal. Um, last time Aussie fans saw you, Diva, would have been back in what 2015 or so, and then you were uh, you're an assistant coach, like a batting coach with the Aussie team, and then uh, the men's team, and then. You went to Surrey to coach there and had a lot of success. Can you tell us about where you've been for the past five or so years? Yeah, well, basically full-time at Surrey as head coach there, um, which has been awesome. Um, unbelievable setup, uh, based at the Oval, terrific club, um, great people. And they had, when I first arrived there, they had a batch of exceptionally exciting youngsters coming through. So um, they just... Uh, got promoted from Division 2 and um, yeah I took over them so a terrific squad to, to get involved with and um, now I'm actually sitting back and watching a lot of those boys play cricket for England so it's it's pretty cool uh, to see their development and, and where they've gone um, what they've gone on to achieve so um, and in between that I sort of had a couple of years with Jason Gillespie um, at the Strikers as well which was which was terrific again working in a and a great setup, um, Adelaide Oval. It was a pretty cool place to call your office. Um, um, yeah, and enjoyed my couple of years with the Strikers. What was it like at Surrey? I think I read that eight players that you coached have gone on to represent England: Ollie Pope, the Curran brothers, uh, Rory Burns. What was it like, you know, being in control of that? And what is a really powerhouse county cricket club over there? Yeah, absolutely. Um, oh, I won't get a better job than the one I had there. Um, there's no doubt about that, especially in domestic cricket. Um, you know, as I said, an incredible place. Um, Alex Stewart is the uh, director of cricket there, so he was my boss, and um, we had a terrific working relationship and, and um, relationship full stop. Um, and he was, you know, brilliant to work with uh, you, you tend to want for nothing at Surrey although they've been hit by the COVID as everyone has but um, knowing the place that I do they'll just see that as another challenge uh, to show basically how good they are and how they work their way out of it so um, yeah really exciting when I first rocked there and just rocked up and saw the young talent um, that the squad did have and then it was a, a, about probably getting the right senior players around that young talent um, to help them to learn and to grow, um, which we managed to do, and, and we developed into a very, very good cricket team that won the championship in 2018. But um, as a byproduct of having very successful young players in, in a successful team, they get noticed a lot more, and, and rightly so with some of these boys. Um, they've progressed pretty quickly on into the the uh, England setup, so um, yeah, very exciting to see where they're at with their careers. Um, yeah, it's pretty cool sitting back now on the couch and flicking on the anytime England are on the telly and, and seeing you know some of those blokes that um, you know worked a lot with um, and seeing yeah seeing them on the big stage. Do you still stay in touch with them? Yeah, bits and pieces, a few text messages here and there. Um, yeah, always um, wish them well in upcoming series, and you know if they do well in a test match, fly them a text. So. Um, yeah, there's some there's some good kids in there. I think Surrey have had some pretty phenomenal uh, overseas players over the years. You've had like Graham Smith, Ricky Ponting was there, uh, Aaron Finch has, has been there for the, the white ball stuff, and you had Kumar Sangakara when you were over there coaching. What was it like having him in the ranks? Yeah, pretty special. Uh, a wonderful human being, uh, Sanga, full stop. 
Um, and he's not bad at cricket either, um, <laughs> which is just an added bonus. I mean, he was, you know, tremendous to have around the group and those young players coming through, um, a terrific person to learn off. And, I mean, Sanger was basically the coach out in the middle of the ground when he was batting, helping the, the youngsters up at the other end. Um, and they thrived off that. Um, and he was, I think he had three or four seasons. I think I had him for three years. Um, yeah, he was he was brilliant. Just a just a wonderful human. Is there one piece of advice or one piece of knowledge that he dropped on the on the players that still sticks with you? Uh, I guess in different situations that come up in different games, Sanger because he's played so much cricket and so much to, you know top cricket. Well, I mean, you're talking about one of the world's greats there. Yeah, he's just got so much advice to give the players how to get get themselves in and out of those situations that, uh, that crop up on a on a cricket field. So um, with England, with the ball swinging and seeming quite a bit, um, you know, his big thing when he was batting was, you know, to defend straight and score square. Mm. So different things like that that get passed on, um, you know, throughout the youngsters that are coming through. Um, there are just little bits of gold dust along the way. I mean, saying there's not a, um, wasn't a huge talker in the dressing room um, at all, but, you know, certainly when he spoke, Everyone listened, um, and certainly out on the field when he batted, he was, you know, as I said before, he was certainly the coach with some of the youngsters out there helping through, you know, different situations and you know, um, you know, tough situations of the game to help them battle their way through and find scoring options. So, no, he was gold. Absolute legend of the game, and uh, I think younger fans might not know that you were also a very prolific left-handed batter. Uh, who would be more elegant out of the two of you? <laughs> Sanger tend to get off. Sanger tend to get off the mark with a cover drive every single game that I watch him play. Like it was ridiculous. It was like bowlers are probably thinking, "Don't bowl in a cover drive," and they just bowl in a cover drive. And just, um, unbelievable knack of hitting an early ball for four through the covers. He probably got me covered, Sanger. I reckon. Right. <laughs> What about the, the the county competition? We'll get to Aussie stuff in, in a second, but uh, how did you find that competition over there and the standard of cricket that uh, county cricket has with 18 clubs, I guess? Yeah, it's different. there's a, definitely a difference between uh, second division and first division. Um, and, and I talk from experience as a player um, from that. So having spent a lot of time in Division 2 when I was at, at Derbyshire, um, and then to to go to um, Durham after that and and, you know, and winning championships, Division One championships with Durham, um, the best sides in Division One. It was it was proper cricket, yeah, um, hard tough cricket, especially the early years. I'm trying to think, 2007 around then, where they still had two overseas players. Um, you still had some of the greats running around. Um, Warney was certainly playing around that stage. Uh, the IPL wasn't quite taken over and taken the majority of overseas players out of it at that stage. Um, so he still had a lot of, you know, the terrific um, test players um, and international players playing county cricket, um, as well as their cold packs um, that yep. they have. So the standard of the, the best teams over there was quite high. Um, Division 1 cricket, um, when I first took over, um, yeah, surprised me how good it was actually to watch having come out of the Aussie team and watched test cricket for you know three or four years or whatever it was with the Aussies. Mm. Um, it was the standard was 
you know, um, it was it was quite high. It was good. Um, and again, the top teams in Division One um, are very good cricket teams. Um, you know, as naturally with so many cricketers um, in the county, it can drop away a little bit. But you know, different counties tend to focus on different things. So some of the weaker counties might focus on white ball cricket a lot more than what they do four day stuff. Uh, so where they can challenge and you know potentially win trophies there. So it's a little bit different um, around the, the counties, um, but there, there's certainly some wonderful cricketers um, running around there. As we're seeing, you know the amount of white ball cricketers England have got at the moment at their disposal, um, and the way they play, they're, they're a pretty ex- exceptional um, white ball team with some very very good players um, that can't get a game. What about the standard uh, between the two comps? I mean, county cricket and Sheffield Shield cricket are, are kind of viewed as the two premier first-class cricket cricket competitions in the world. Uh, no disrespect to those in New Zealand, South Africa, and India, and, and places like that. But uh, is it a similar kind of standard, or is it is it is there much difference between the two? Um, I think at times one's been better than the other. Um, it swings around depending on players. Yep. Um, obviously, England when they had the two overseas players, when there was quality internationals running around, um, you know there was a period there where Australian domestic cricket got really young, and um, English county cricket was probably at a much higher standard. Um, but they're still two terrific um, competitions, and I guess the guys that are playing now are the, the probably the best ones to judge which is better. So those that um, you know, Peter, someone like Peter Siddle would, would be the perfect bloke to, to ask um, how he raises both competitions, considering he's playing in both at the moment. So, um, but certainly during my playing time, you know, there were periods where our cricket was a, a lot tougher here, um, and probably by towards the end of my career um, in Australia, county cricket was probably a better competition. Um, in, certainly in Division Ones. Uh, against the the top teams, so um, a lot depends on quality overseas players, quality depth of your squad, which teams that you play for um, over there. But um, each have got their own challenges, that's for sure. One of the big differences between the two comps is there's no toss in county cricket anymore. They've got rid of it. Did you like that, Diva? And could you see it working in Australia? I think the home team. Uh, has the choice? Oh no, sorry. The opposition has the choice to yeah. bowl first. Oh right, so, okay. Um, if they don't want to bowl first, um, then there's a toss. Yeah, I think the rule is. Um, oh, I like a toss. Like, <laughs> yeah. I suppose that the the reasons behind it is just try to produce better wickets um, to stop the home team from um, preparing big green seamers and. Um, but sort of, I mean, we our home ground at Surrey was the Oval, so uh, we just try to produce a good cricket wicket, which uh, we were happy, always happy to bat first on. Um, and the opposition sometimes wanted to have a bowl, so we were generally pretty happy. Um, but we left enough in there if we did have to bowl first that you know we were, we were confident we could bowl teams out. So um, yeah, I don't know, it's a toss, isn't it? It's part of cricket history which um, yeah you don't like to see games decided on the cost of a toss of a coin but and I guess that's what they were trying to stamp out um, in county cricket where you know sometimes that could happen 
And you don't really see that in Australia, do you? There's not that many times. Tasmania might be one place, Queensland if it's overcast and early in the morning where you might bowl first, but traditionally you would bat first. Yeah, well, certainly throughout my playing career, we um, we would uh, always look to bat first. Well, <laughs> not Tasmania early. We always used to bowl first so we could get a run chase in the, in the back end. <laughs> um, but... Um, you know, most places you go, you certainly bat first. I think it's changed a little bit in Australia. I think you find a lot of teams um, like to bowl first now. So, okay. um, I don't know. I always, as an opening batter or a top order batter, I always like to like to scratch my own guard out in the middle. So, I always, uh, always like to bat first. Well, you've been in Australia with the Strikers, Hurricanes, and the Tigers now. Uh, who's sort of impressed you as of the young batters in the country? Who stood out for you? Um, well, Cameron Green looks like he's going to stand out, doesn't he? <laughs> yes, um, I haven't um, seen him live yet. I've only seen highlights on and um, highlights on the WA games and then obviously some of the test matches he's played. But, yeah, he looks one out of the box, doesn't he? Um, and he also bowls as well. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, yeah, what a talented boy. Um so I haven't I haven't seen him live, but he certainly seems the uh, um, yeah, as I said, one out of the box. Yeah, right. And what about uh, down in Tassie? Some good young talent down there. Yeah, there's some good youngsters coming through down here. Um, Caleb Jewell has been mm. it's been pretty exciting to see him come through after initially missing out in the early games um, in Adelaide. We got, he wasn't even in that squad that went away. Um, so he's sort of done it the hard way where. And the old, the old-fashioned way by scoring a heap of grade runs. I think he scored five um, grade hundreds in all all the different competitions. So T21, one day hundred, a couple of four day, uh, two day hundreds, um, and to see him get an opportunity, and then he, in his first hit got a hundred uh, in the Shield game on day one at, at Bell River a couple of weeks ago against Queensland. So that's been pretty exciting to see him um, re-emerge, if you like. Um, into the Tigers set up and he's had a couple of good one day knocks as well where he's struck the ball quite cleanly at the top um, Jake Doran looks like he's going nicely at the moment I mean Jake's been around for a few years now but um, he's still a, he's still a very young man so um, he's put some good experiences behind him in you know and how tough shield cricket can be and he seems in a really good place with his batting at the moment so those two have done really well I think um, with the Tigers in, in recently I'm sure you still keep a, a close eye on the Australian team, particularly you know, youngsters like Cam Green and Will Bukowski. What did you make of the Aussies this summer going down to India in the Test Series? Yeah, it was a cracking series, wasn't it? It was really good. Um, you know, I'm sure we would have liked a few more runs. Mm. Um, would have made it a little bit different. But, um, yeah, just a, a quality series um, of cricket, which unfortunately we got on the wrong side of. So, um Always work to do in, in that environment, isn't it? When you get to when you get to that level, so um, yeah, I think from a probably from a batting perspective, we would have liked you know a few more runs out of people, but that's sometimes you know credit to the bowlers and um, India kept on coming at us, you know, throughout all the from what I saw through um, in all the Test matches and made it quite hard. So. Um, yeah, sometimes you've got to take your head off and say, well played to the opposition. Just the one century 
by Steve Smith this summer, which seems like he's two or three short the way he's been going. You were um, right there with him when he sort of that ascent really took off. And I reckon, uh, if memory serves, he thanked you when he won one of the AB medals he's won, uh, called you out up there when he was receiving the, the, the medal from AB. Uh, one, one person in particular I'd like to say thank you to is Michael DiVenuto, um, the batting coach who, who throws me and all of the other boys endless amounts of balls. He's, he's absolutely fantastic at his job. Um, I, I was just thinking back the other day to uh, the, the Ashes last year after the Adelaide test. Um, I hadn't quite contributed contributed to the team as well as I would have liked and I asked Diver, I said, Div, what's, what's going on? Um, why can't I get runs? He goes, I said, I'm hitting the ball really well. What's going on? He goes, Smudge, it, you're not out of form. You're just out of runs. They'll come. Have, have the confidence. And I think I went on to score 100 in the next test match and, and since then it's been really smooth sailing, I guess. So um, thank you, Diver. I really appreciate everything that you do. Can you kind of just believe how well he's gone, how much he's progressed and become such a dominant batter in the world? Yeah, an exceptional work ethic and um, just exceptional faith in his own ability and um, just a real belief. Yeah. Um, yeah, fine player. And um, he's only getting better, I think. So I think, um, no, nah, he was a, he was terrific to work with um, and we spent a, a lot of time with the Nets, but mate, that was just the one throwing the balls. He was doing all the work up the other end, so um, yeah, and it was it was it was pretty cool to be involved in that period to see um, him come through when he came back into the team. Um, you know, it took a, a, a while for him to have some success, but once he sort of got that belief and that hunger, um, you know, just got a insatiable appetite to score runs and just wants to score runs and wants to get better. Um, yeah, and an you know, amazing run scorer now in, in all conditions. Your shoulder must be thankful that you're not throwing all those balls to him anymore. Nah, strong. Always strong, mate. It's, it, only, it only gets sore if you stop. Yeah, <laughs> it's so, pretty simple. Well, <laughs> well, all eyes are going to be on Smith and the Aussies next summer uh, when England come down to Australia. They haven't won a test match here for like, I don't know, 2011. I think it was the last time they won a test match, let alone a series. Um do you give them any chance, uh, uh, Diva, having worked with some of those players up close? Um, yeah, absolutely. Um, as we as we saw with India here this summer, you just can't write any opposition off. Um, India got down to the bare bones of their squad; they still kept on coming. Um, you know, England have got a, a group of talented cricketers that are probably more suited to white ball cricket, uh, majority of them at this stage. Um, but their test cricketers are still very good players and they're still, you know, they'll still have a couple of pretty old, experienced bowlers um, coming in, good youngsters around there. They're, they're developing as a test team and uh, I know they're playing quite, they'll play quite a bit of test cricket before the Ashes coming up. So, um, if they get a settled side that gets confident, um, you know anything can happen in the series here. What do you make of their the way that they're rotating their fast bowls? They've done it in England. They're doing it at home. Uh, they've got a real battery of quicks. Australia generally play uh, those three quicks, the big three. I guess they are Stark, Hazelwood, and Cummins, and uh, don't really uh, err from that at home. But what do you make of the way that England are using their quicks? 
Yeah, well, the England Test team it tends to play so much cricket um, in all conditions. So, you know, during the our winters, they're, they're full on summer and they tend to have two teams come over and tour because everyone wants to tour England. Mm. And then... <laughs> In the in their off season, uh, in our summer, they're always touring somewhere subcontinent. I think they've had two test tours um, this winter already: um, Sri Lanka and um, India. India. Were yeah. they in South Africa as well? I think they might have been. Um, yeah, for some one day stuff. Yeah, yeah. They had to no, leave I think they had test matches. They had test matches as well in South Africa. Okay. So they they they're full on. They do not stop. Yeah. Um, so. And plus, some of their bigger boys now are in the IPL as well, which you know, that, I think that's um, that makes it hard because uh, it's hard to stop someone from going to the IPL. Um, and given now with all the bubbles, quarantining, and things like that, so it's yeah, it's a it's a bit of a it's a bit of a mess when you throw all that in together. So um, I think they're just trying to come up with a way um, to deal with that to keep players fresh. Um, so they don't um, play one too much cricket, or they don't get stuck in quarantine for too long. Um, yeah, it's, it's a hard one, um, and I'm sure they'll learn from the experience um, of through this period. Which, as well, it's almost with the whole COVID stuff and the way the world is at the moment, it's almost you, know, you, you live and learn, don't you? you? You try things that you know might work and. Other times you might go, well, we made a mistake there. So, but because it's sort of uncharted territory, uh, I guess they're trying to find their best way to navigate that, um, you know, and keep everyone um, fit, healthy, and and sane, probably. Yeah, yeah, and they've got guys like you mentioned, uh, Broad and Anderson, who are probably towards the back end of their career, and by playing them this way, they can sort of prolong and uh, extend their careers. They've also got some exciting fast bowlers like Joff Archer and. And Mark Wood, that's kind of where they've been let down a little bit in the recent tours to Australia, haven't had those express fast bowls. Is that what you really need, Diva, to to shake things up in Australia? India didn't have quite the same kind of velocity with their pace attack but had success this summer. But for England, is that what they're kind of trying to trying to find, that really fast bowler? Yeah, they've, they've got a few floating around there, but I guess if, you, if you're hitting the right length and the right area, it doesn't really matter what sort of speed that you bowl, as we saw with... Um, India this summer. Um, if you're getting the ball in the right area more often than not, you're going to challenge the batters. So, um, all well and good to have the air speed, but if you're going at eight and over, um, if you're bowling two bad balls and over that's getting hit before, then um, it doesn't really matter how fast you're bowling. Um, there's some talented boys there, there's no doubt about that. Archer, certainly. Um, Mark Wood, good Durham boy. Um, <laughs> He uh, he's certainly got some skill and talent. Um, the fitness with him has always has always been an issue. Issue um, always tends to pick up um, an unfortunate injury along the way. But if they can get him up and about um, and fit, um, you know, I think he could certainly enjoy Aussie conditions. Um, so yeah, there's a there's a good attack there if they if they all stay fit. Certainly. Yeah, that's still like nine months away. We're talking about the Ashes already. Uh, Dev, what are you going to do? What are you going to do between uh, now and then when your your lurking days at Tasmania are, are over? What are, what are your plans? Are you going to try and uh, get a coaching gig somewhere in the world? Yeah, well, that's that's sort of exactly where we're at at the moment. Actually, I've sort of got another 
my consultancy stuff slash lurking uh, with the Tigers <laughs> will finish um, shortly, obviously at the end of the season, and then uh, yeah, look to see what happens from there. So um, there's been some good conversations happening with different people, but sort of nothing in front of me um, right at this particular moment that I can get my teeth stuck into. So um, certainly looking um, to see what's out there. Yeah, having coached uh, at domestic level to success, being an assistant coach um, with the Aussie team, is international cricket where your future aspirations lie? It's certainly back on my agenda, um, but, but, or anything is, yep. to be honest. So I'm, I'm certainly looking at anything. Um, perfect world, I, I can keep my home base um, here in Tassie, which um, is a pretty good place uh, to be at the moment, especially in the world, the way everything's going. Yeah. Um, Tassie's pretty normal here, so um, yeah, plan A would be to keep home here, and if that means that I'm um, in international cricket or at Cricket Tasmania or, yeah, yeah, sort of everything's <laughs> a bit up in the air a little bit at the moment, but um, you know, in time, hopefully, um, something will pop up that I can get my teeth stuck into. I'm sure it will. There's only a couple of rounds left of the Shield season. Tazia in third, as we record this podcast. Um, who have been the standout teams? Queensland are up there at the moment, but you just knocked off the number two side in, in New South Wales. Uh, if if Tazia were to, to make it, uh, they'd probably take on the Bulls, but um, who are sort of the danger teams and who are the sort of players that have stood out to you this season? Yeah, I've only seen uh, the two games uh, live down at Bell Reef. Um, Queensland were impressive in that game um, that I saw, um, especially with I mean with Manus and Uzi um, in their batting order. Throwing Joe Burns as well, Matt Renshaw. Um, you know they've got a good bowling attack as well. So um, that was a really good game of cricket. Um, the Tigers played well in that game, but Queensland um, chased down a total um, on the last day. So. Uh, with their two their two big guns um, doing the majority of the work uh, against some proper bowling, like it was really good first class cricket. So Manus and uh, Uzi sort of weathered the storm for for quite a long time, um, and certainly they earned that victory. Um, so yeah, from what I've seen and bits and pieces on the telly, Queensland looks to be um, the team to beat this year. Okay, well, mate, uh, thank you very much for, for coming on. Good to chat to you again, and uh, good luck with the rest of the, of the lurking for the rest of the season. <laughs> Thanks, mate. Nice to chat. That's it for this week's episode of the Unplayable Podcast. We will be back next week, but until then, for all your breaking news, live scores, and video highlights, head to cricket.com.au and the CA Live app.